And then it reminded me of uh, when I was a teacher a long time ago, I felt like I was doing the same thing, that I was doing more of the talking. I had a student ask me, when is, when is it our turn to read? When do we get a read? And that had a profound effect on me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Before we introduce this episode's guests, and there are three of them, I want to take a moment to remind you that the interview you're about to hear is just one part of our exploration of this topic, in this case, guided reading. You'll find multimedia resources, including a full transcript of this episode, accompanying blog posts, videos, collaboration opportunities, and much more on our learning community. We encourage you to visit bit.ly slash getmlresources, and that's all lowercase, for more information. Our community resources are always free and available when you need them. Just use the search bar or filters to find the resources you're looking for. I should also mention that when you join our community, you will receive our weekly community brief, which is full of relevant and recent resources that you can use to help all of your students, including your multilingual learners. On this episode of Highest Aspirations, what benefits does guided reading offer when compared to more traditional whole group instruction? How can guided reading be used to support multilingual learners and foster cultural responsive teaching strategies? How can schools and districts design and implement professional learning opportunities to support teachers as they roll out guided learning strategies? We were lucky enough to bring in three guests from Kingsbury Charter Elementary School in California, where guided reading is being implemented quite successfully. What I love about this episode is we have three different people from three different roles. So joining me today are Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum and Instruction, Melanie Sembritsky, Superintendent Dr. Wesley Sever, and second grade teacher, Kelsey Iteralde. As always, you can find their full bios on our show notes and in the accompanying blog post at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Before we get started, I just wanted to note that while I usually bring in one and a maximum of two people onto Highest Aspirations in order to be able to best manage the conversation, this was a really unique opportunity, and I was glad to bring in all three of these really passionate people from one school district to talk about how they're implementing something so important for multilingual learners. So I, I think that it worked out pretty well. I hope that you enjoy the conversation. As always, thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. So this is a really uh, interesting interview that we have today. We have three people, which is um, kind of rare on Highest Aspirations. We have uh, a superintendent, an assistant superintendent of curriculum instruction, and we have a second grade teacher all here to talk about uh, guided reading and the power that it has, particularly for multilingual learners. So uh, I would like to thank first, as we get started, um, Melanie Sembritsky, who is the assistant superintendent, Kelsey Itteralde, who is the uh, second grade teacher, and Wes Sever, who is the superintendent. So thank you all for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Thank you for having us. To, yeah, great to be here. Absolutely. And I have to shout out first that uh, on the East Coast, where I am, it's 929 and you all are on the West Coast where it is 629 a.m. So uh, I first really appreciate you all getting up early to do this. It's, it's really great to have you all here. So I want to start by talking a little bit first about the structure of your schools, because it's interesting and I think it's relevant to our conversation. Um, you have 
all grade level classrooms in individual schools, which I think is a unique model. Um, and yet you still notice, getting to the point, the topic of this reading, you still noticed over time that reading looked different from classroom to classroom. So talk to us a little bit about the structure that you have and, and how you kind of noticed that that was happening even in the structure that you utilize. You know, um, it was interesting because all we have, uh, we have a kindergarten school so all 250 kindergartners in the district go to one school. Then they go to another school for second grade, for, for first grade. And then we have a second and third grade school and a four, five, six, and seven, eight. And so, um, you know, all the first grade teachers, second grade teachers, third grade teachers are in one place at one time. And when you visit, the, when we first started visiting classrooms, Melanie and I, about nine years ago, it was pretty obvious because you just go, when you would visit 13 second grade classrooms and some teachers were doing small group instruction, some teachers had kidney tables at kidney tables and you could tell they were being used. Uh, some teachers just had desks in the room and nothing else. And you could tell that that that, um, that small group instruction was not happening. Um, we have these, these grade levels. These grade level schools have been in the community for many, many years. Um, uh, over 30 years from from the farthest I could go back and they wanted the kids to grow up together in the community mm -hmm. and they didn't want separated schools they wanted everybody to be together and so it's worked out it's worked out really well and you know I think the biggest uh, the most the, I guess the most significant thing about that is that the teachers can collaborate they can talk to each other about kids they're, they're focused on one one set of materials one set of curriculum um, over the last 10 years, our population has significantly changed. We went from 35% Hispanic to now we're almost 60% Hispanic. We went mm -hmm. to like 5% English learners to now 20% English learners. And so as we've, as we've grown, we've had to also differentiate for our English learners and focus on them. And so it's been a, it's been an interesting, it's, it's been an interesting change because the only way you can truly focus on individual needs is by doing small group instruction right right and we use we use guided reading as that format to make it structured so I, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. go ahead melanie i was just going to say one of the things that we noticed when we were doing walkthroughs and we also had our uh, administrators and academic coaches too with us was that teachers were doing a lot of the work they're in a lot of the classrooms students weren't reading as much they were sitting there waiting for their turn um and then it reminded me of uh, when i was a teacher a long time ago i felt like i was doing the same thing that i was doing more of the talking i had a student ask me when is when is it our turn to read when do we get a read and that had a profound effect on me when i saw what was going on inside our classrooms because i really had kind of forgotten about um that because it was so many years ago and so that's when we really started looking around for a reading program, putting systems in place. Um, we also noticed that our students' performance level was kind of at a standstill. We, it was almost like we were stuck. We couldn't get over a hump. And teachers were, were articulating that to us too, that they had students that they were trying all these different things and it just wasn't working. So that's that. those things all contributed to why we started focusing on early literacy. Yeah, that's that's all really interesting. And I, I wanna bring out a couple points that both um, Wes, you made and uh, Melanie, you made as well. 
Um, you know, Wes, you, you gave a kind of a nice brief history. You, you talked about how you're doing this for 30 years. Uh, you started visiting classrooms in terms of the, 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 the how you're setting up the schools. And then you and Melanie started visiting schools nine years ago. So this is, a, this is something that's been going on for a while, both the way that the schools are structured and your sort of experiment and kind of looking into what was going on, um, which, which kind of made you realize that you needed to make a change. Because even in this system, which really lends itself to teachers working together and hopefully doing, using some similar strategies to serve the students that, as you mentioned, Wes, are, are changing, you went, you said five to 20%, I think, um, uh, English learners over recently, that's been a, a relatively recent change. And so you need to differentiate instruction, go to the small group instruction. And then Melanie, you gave the great example, and we had talked about this before, which is it's both a great example, but it can also be sound really sad when you have a student asking you, when do we get to read? I mean, that's really poignant. And we'll, we'll hear from Kelsey in a, little bit, in a little bit about her experience working you know, directly with students. But all that sort of led you to recognize that you needed a better model for reading instruction, which kind of takes us to, to, to today's topic. What, I mean, what made you choose this model, guided reading, as a strategy for all your teachers to embrace, particularly when it comes to working with that growing population of multilingual learners? Melanie, maybe you could start us off there and we can have right. others jump in. So we started reaching out to other districts um, studying different models of reading, looking at different systems that were in place at, um, with other schools and other districts. We joined a collective network called Cali, and that was a group of several districts working together. The focus was on school improvement and early literacy. So within that group, too, that provided us with a lot of networking opportunities um, and uh, working with experts in, in the field as well. We really liked guided reading a lot because it included, I mean, not just guided reading and focus on foundational skills, which was very important to us, but it also had a, a balanced literacy connection to it, um, connections to the common core. It started where students are at. So it, it really tailored to individual student needs. It wasn't like every, group that you that teachers worked with they were using the same curriculum same story same text um, students did most of the work again it focused on foundations i like that it was really a responsive teaching cycle so um, teachers were doing common formative assessments pretty much the whole time during guided reading and then providing that immediate feedback for students i think those were some of the things that and then the research it was backed by a lot of good research and data too yeah, which is obviously crucial. So you're able to see kind of both parts of that, both how it works in practice, given what you had seen before, and then the research behind it um, yeah. as well. And it had, we like the system too, the system in place, because our teachers were doing great things even before guided reading, but we weren't getting the best of any one program and we didn't have common language throughout or even within the school sites. So um, that was also a, a need that we recognized. Yeah, and as a as a former teacher myself, I uh, it, it, it resonated with me what you said about doing all the work. And in some ways, it's like, and you know, you feel like you should be doing that because you know you're trying to support the students, but you also realize, obviously, in your heart, especially when you get a quote like the one we've referenced a couple times now, that you need to kind of uh, yield to to the students and let them do some of that work as well, so they can grow. Wes, it looks like you might have had something to add. 
Yeah, Steve, it's like a, for me, it's an all-inclusive program. You know, it really has, it has formative assessments, immediate feedback. When you're working with a group of five, a group of five or six students that, that are at the same instructional level, that you're focused on a specific um, reading strategy, whether it's prefixes, suffixes, CVC words, whatever it might be. Um, you can, you, and especially for our English learners, our students that are struggling, um, teachers can give that immediate feedback. They can do formative assessments on a regular basis. And in education, I, I firmly believe that we need to, um, if something's not working, we need to change it immediately. When you go to the doctor and you are bleeding and you need stitches, he doesn't say, hey, let's make another appointment in two months. Well, in education, we know if something's not working like in a week or two. So why do we wait till the semester? We need to change it right then and there. And guided mm -hmm. reading kind of guides the teacher and tells us, hey, change what you're doing. It's not working. And let's move on it, almost every single day, almost every single week. Um, really a great program to optimize, I think, I think teaching in the classroom. Yeah, and I think that, um, that fluid approach really comes in handy when I'm making my small groups as well. Um, just because I said a group, like Dr. Sever said, I don't need to wait until the end of the trimester to change who's in my groups. Um, I look at that every week as I'm taking notes and if I need to change it, I change my groups and I, I can move the students where they need to go because I'm constantly assessing and reassessing and reevaluating where they need to be and, and what, they, what they need as individual learners. Yeah, it sounds like you just have like a it's it's a tighter cycle, right? And and you have lots of cycles to kind of run through. You don't have to wait, as you said, to, to the end of the semester to do something. I love that doctor reference too. And you're bleeding, you have to stop the bleeding right there. And I think we have a tendency to kind of wait until oh, at the end of the quarter, I'm gonna give grades now and then we'll move on, we'll do something different. And the nature of the school year is is kind of built that way. So you have to sort of build new systems in order to do what you want to do. And it's great to hear all of your perspectives on this. It's really nice. And I, I'm interested in all of your perspectives on this next one. I think particularly Kelsey, but Melanie, maybe you can kick us off. My, my question here is, is about um, the model for training, right? We talk a lot about professional learning um, and how you go about kind of making change happen. It's not an easy thing to do anywhere and particularly in schools. And your model for training staff around guided learning, my first thought was this is great, not but and, and it's kind of intimidating the way that you have it set up. So I'd love for you to describe it, um, Melanie, maybe you can start how you were able to implement it successfully. Um, especially you've admitted that many of your teachers were not particularly fond of it at the beginning. And then Kelsey, I'd love to hear your point of view because I think you've actually gone through it. I would love to hear Kelsey's point of view too. It, it was an intimidating model. It's called the lesson study model. And we had talked with our um, local county office of education. We were started with Fresno County and our facilitator at Fresno County moved to Tulare County. And so we stuck with her um, because we had developed that relationship and built that trust with her. And she shared with us different models of professional development. Um, she talked a lot about the lesson study model. It is intimidating because teachers um, work closely together. They talk about a problem of practice. They plan together. And then a teacher goes into a classroom and, and implements that lesson with all the other teachers in there watching that lesson being taught with students. And um, then they step out, they reevaluate, reflect on the lesson, um, talk about strengths and what could we do, opportunities for improvement. They replace the lesson and then a different teacher goes in and teaches the lesson again. And they kind of repeat that cycle. So it is very intimidating, but I think for us, 
I think um, because I think it helps that our grade level figurations are set up the way they are because it does bring all of the teachers in that particular grade level or span together. And because of that, there's a certain level of trust that exists between them that maybe doesn't exist if we were all spread out throughout the district. Um, our teachers work together very closely. And it's, I mean, it really is a community and culture of trust, not just with student, with staff, but with students as well, with the whole community. Um, so I think that level of trust is really, we couldn't have done it with that, having that in place. Trust within the grade level team, uh, with the leadership team, and then of course with our facilitator from the county that came in and did the training for us. But it was, it's so powerful. It's, it's really teachers rolling up their sleeves and it's learning by doing. It's not just listening to somebody talk about it and um, who doesn't have that classroom experience because our teachers are, are the ones that are planning it. They're going into the classroom. They're doing the work, working with students. They come back out. The focus is really on the lesson, not on the teacher. Um, and it's building that culture of collaboration and that team atmosphere. What can we do to help our kids grow? So before we get to you, Kelsey, I'm uh, just going to set tee this up a little bit. So trust is great and important. Right? I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Trust is great and important. <laughs> Having teachers who work very closely together and collaborate all the time is very important. Having a facilitator from the county is very important. Having, uh, you mentioned, partnerships with other districts that have been doing similar things that have worked, all very powerful. But when it boils down to it, to, to Kelsey, you're, you're doing something that a lot of teachers don't do, which is to teach a lesson in front of a lot of your peers and then get feedback, which is like a great model. But in my experience, not something that I did often. And even as a veteran teacher, I taught for 17 years and I think even in my 17th year, I would have been very uncomfortable with that. So tell us what was your experience and how did it, how did it play out? Um, yeah, I actually remember that training back when I first got hired and I think I might have a different perspective than some teachers who have been teaching in the classroom for a lot longer than I have. Um, so for me, guided reading is all I've ever known. I mean, that's what I came in and wasn't in, in trained on. And then that's what I've been using for the last seven years. So it's, um, might be a little bit different opinion, but I actually really love it. And it is intimidating to teach in front of your peers, um, no matter no matter what. And thankfully our county um, help that came in, she was very willing to do the lesson first, to put herself in the hot spot and to teach the lesson with our kids that we know and she doesn't know. Um, and so that was, took a burden off our shoulders to be able to see another adult be brave and and do that first. And then that gave us courage to go ahead and try it. and. Um, I think back to the trust thing on our team, we do have nine second grade classrooms here, but we're all very close and we know that we want the best for our kids no matter what. So at the end of the day, my face might get bright red as I'm teaching in front of my peers, but I know that they're there for me and they're there to support me and whatever they have to say is only going to make me a better teacher. So much of that is about a culture, you know, establishing a culture of trust, which I talked about before. And I, I you know, I've, I, was, I, was, I was being, again, a little bit of a devil's advocate there, but all of those elements that you mentioned, Melanie, I'm sure created the environment uh, that Kelsey and others jumped into and were able to, uh, to, to, to benefit from. Um, Wes, interesting, interested from like a leadership point of view, you know, is this, is everything that was just, would you add anything to, to any of that from your perspective? You know, just well one thing is making sure the teachers have what they need you know we we made sure the training was in place we we didn't say hey everyone do it right now 
we said, hey, let's start the training. Let's start implementing it. Let's see if it's effective. Let's observe each other. And I think um, for, for professional development, really, honestly, the best professional development is what the, the, the PD that you do with your peers. Because when I, if I'm if I'm teaching in Kelsey's room and she she's observing me, she's gonna she's either gonna get a great idea or she's gonna know what not to do. So it's 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 a win it's a win win um, situation when you're observing a peer. And then when we structure it with trust and with hey, let me give you one thing that will make a difference. This is what I saw that you could do better. These are the ten great things that you're doing. When when you combine that with trust and observing each other. It, uh, that's effective professional development. That's the best when it's happening in your classroom. And so we just want, we, we try to support that. We try to give the teachers time um, so that they can do those activities, getting extra subs so they can, they can, they can be part of that. The, the administrator at the, the principal at the, the um, school district, I mean, sorry, the principal at Lincoln where Kelsey works um, spends a lot of individual time with teachers um, coaching them, guiding them, let e and showing them other, you know, especially with new teachers that are coming in, those new new teachers will be in Kelsey's room, they'll be in other teachers' room, so they actually experience guided reading as they're learning it and they're 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 being trained. Yeah, it sounds like there's a there's a great structure in place for both the teachers who are experiencing it and the people who, in, in many cases, I suppose, the building principals or administrators who need to make sure that learning is happening, accountability, all that. I mean, you need that structure in place to be able to do it. And Wes, I think what you said is really important. You know, when teachers are working together and they're doing it in their classrooms and it's connected specifically to learning. And in this case, it couldn't be any more connected with the way that you're doing it. Um, it can be successful. No, I was just going to say, and I remember having, when we first implemented this, I remember the, the, the principal, Mr. Stovall, coming to me and saying, hey, Dr. Sever, there's two teachers that still don't want to do small group instruction and guided reading. And so we, we, so we started with go in there and require it that they do it at least twice a week for now. Within, with, literally within eight months, those teachers were doing it every single day without a problem and it was, it was there, they could see the growth in their students. But there, there was a point where we actually had to say, do it mm -hmm. for, one or two, for one or two teachers. And then once they saw the success, they just ran with it and they're amazing guided reading teachers now. Yeah, so there, there's the quality of the model, right? It, no matter what you do with professional learning, if it's not working, you're not gonna get buy-in. So it starts with the model that actually, that actually works. Glad you mentioned that. Melon, you had something to add as well. Oh, I was just going to say with the lesson study model, we did do a gradual release and differentiated that model a little bit because there were some teachers that were very intimidated. Um, and, it, and it wasn't that they didn't trust each other. It, it's just intimidating to go teach in front of your peers, like Kelsey said. So um, there were some groups I remember where they brought kids into the room where the training was taking place. So they would bring that small group of kids into the room the teacher would teach the lesson, uh, the other teachers would watch and observe and take notes, and then the kids would go back to the regular classroom, and then teachers would debrief together. So it, it took some different forms, um, but it was all a form of that lesson study model, and then eventually we all got to that, where teachers would go in and teach. Sure. Same thing we do with our students. You're scaffolding learning, right? Doing it in a different way. I mean, you have to do it. Everybody's an individual differentiated instruction for different people, but you can't do it in a way where 
it's like productive struggle, right? Or rigor, all those, those words that we use with our students, it's the same thing. There has to be kind of an expectation that you're going to do this, but we have to make sure that we um, keep using all kinds of terms, accommodations, right? Whatever, it, whatever it takes, it's the same thing. Kelsey, I want to come back to you for a sec, because the next thing I want to get to is, um, you know, when the pandemic happened and it's been going on now for a long, long time, there was such a focus on the term learning loss. And I, I, Never knew really how I felt about the term, and it's not a term that I really use anymore that is necessarily in vogue. Um, but certainly, there has been there have been efforts to get students kind of back up to speed, make sure that they're you know making up for any lost time or starting where they left off or whatever the case may be. Um, with reading, the guided reading program, obviously based on what everything everything we've talked about has been around since before the pandemic. But I'm curious from your perspective as a as a classroom teacher. How is it working now as a tool to help kind of re-engage students in reading activities and kind of meet them where they are, wherever that may be as a result of everything that's gone on over the last couple of years? I think at the core of guided reading, like Melanie mentioned earlier, is that the students are doing the work, not the teacher. And because of that reason, pandemic or not, the students are doing the work. So they're the ones that get to benefit the most from it when they get to learn at their level and you get to meet them where they are, whether there's learning loss or not, there's always going to be gaps in the classroom between the different levels of where your students are at. Um, and teaching whole class reading leaves them just lost. And like we said earlier, waiting for their turn to read, if you're just doing popcorn reading or round robin reading versus at a small group, when you're requiring the same mental effort from everybody, um, that just really helps the kids grow leaps and bounds. And I've seen so much progress over my few years of teaching, you know, from the beginning until the end of the year. It's, it's really just incredible. Yeah. So it sounds like whereas many districts have had to kind of put in new strategies and implement new programs to kind of get students up to speed. It sounds like you didn't really have to do that because the way that guided reading was set up already allowed you to kind of meet students where they are. Am I on point there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, coming back in, we were back in first instruction last year as well, but once we were no longer doing distance learning, I was just so excited to have the kids with books in their hands in the classroom because yeah. what a difference. And like you said, we were just chugging along, doing what we've been doing, and we've been given the resources and the training and the skill set to be able to do that. And I think as a team and as a school district, we felt really confident jumping right back into that and and taking whatever this year might be and and running with it. Great. Yeah, it's a, this it's compelling right there. I mean, just like you I think that's all you need to say given all the challenges we've been through and where we are now to be able to kind of just pick up and use what you were already using is such a key benefit for teachers uh, everywhere. The other thing that I wanted to get to, and, and Kelsey, I'll have you take the lead here as well. You can see my bias toward classroom teachers as I, as I was yeah. one for a long time. Um, we, we've talked a lot about cultural responsiveness on, on highest aspirations. And it's one of these terms where everybody knows kind of what it is. Um, and everybody's, I think, strives to, to, to incorporate it. But it, I think it can be a little bit of a slippery slope or not a slippery slope, but kind of a, a difficult thing to kind of put into practice. So with this, I could see the connection to the reading material. So how have you gone about as a classroom teacher? And then maybe we'll get the perspective from Melanie and or Wes. How have you gone about... Um, including reading materials that allow students and their families to help learn more about themselves and their heritage, or just kind of be connected to the reading through that cultural responsiveness lens. Yeah. Um, 
in my classroom, I always tell my kiddos our, you know, our relationship comes first and building that respect is on the foundation of a good relationship, both with my students and with their families as well. So once you get to know them and their backgrounds and where they come from, they really bring so much to our plate and make our classroom so much richer. So starting there and having them share their own experiences makes them feel seen and valued and heard. And then if we can apply that to reading, which we have such a great district that's bought us so many resources for reading groups and our classroom that um, I'm able to do that most of the time um, with our journeys books, which is our ELA textbook. It comes with guided reading books, has five books per story. So it's based on if it's like an English language learner or if it's a solely a language focus or below level on level above level. But then also we have access to reading A to Z also purchased by our, webs our district, excuse me. So we can go on that website and we can search up a plethora of of culturally um, intact stories that we wanted to read about and whether that's a holiday based or or otherwise um, just having access to that I'm just so thankful that that we're supported in the district the way that we are. So before I get to, to Melanie and Wes, I'm sure you have something to add here but I just want to tee it up a little bit. You, you uh, Kelsey are obviously doing a really good job kind of building those relationships which is a I'd love to get into but that's another episode for another time because there's a lot that goes into it you get to know your students you know who they are you provide them with resources that are based on that relationship that you have built deliberately and over time but the other thing that you mentioned where Melanie and Westcom is that you you have the support from the district to be able to give the students what they need so my question for for Melanie West is how have you gone about creating those supports, um, both, I mean, from, from really every perspective, having the budget to be able to do it, um, disseminating it to, to teachers, because that's, that's not an easy thing to do. And it couldn't have been easy over the last couple of years. Yeah, so one of the things when we, after we started guided reading, we saw the impact that it was having on students. And from what we were hearing from teachers, we wanted to make sure, like Wes said earlier, that teachers were supported, that they had everything that they needed. And we really wanted a, a no excuse attitude. Um, so one of the things that we, we talked about getting books into kids' hands and making them accessible to students. So we purchased classroom libraries for all of our teachers. Teachers worked with our library media specialists to select the books that they thought were important that kids would enjoy because we wanted to build of literacy and develop that love for reading for kids. And if we knew that if books were right there in the classroom, um, there was going to be no excuses for students either to pick up a book and start reading. The other thing too that we did, we've done a lot of thing with, things with parents too. We had a, some EL literacy nights. And so this was during distance learning. We had parents that got on Zoom, uh, we read stories with them. One book in particular from the belly button of the moon. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, um, but it talks a lot about the Hispanic culture and um, includes a lot of rich language and vocabulary in that. And the, the kids at the end work with their families to develop these I am poems. So they celebrated their backgrounds, their differences, their cultures, and then they shared it with each other. And then the other thing that um, we just recently had a bilingual children's day it was at night, but it was celebrating Bilingual Children's Day. So we invited all of our EL students and their families to celebrate uh, being able to speak multiple languages. Um, we had different guest speakers come. We celebrated our students that were reclassified as well that night. We gave kids a book. It's called Imagine. There's also a, a version in Spanish called Imagina. 
um, about a man, an English learner who grew up and taught himself how to read and write and how successful he became um, and the importance of reading. And then we did something annually called Kingsburg Reads One Book where everybody in the city of Kingsburg students reads the same book um, and we celebrate reading. Again, it's building that culture of literacy at home and getting kids to love reading. And so we get books for kids in Spanish who need it. Uh, one year we had to get books in um, Punjabi. This year we have books in Chinese. So we do a lot of different things to, to make sure all cultures are celebrated and recognized. So I preface that question by saying that cultural responsiveness can be difficult, can be something that we hear a lot about, but it can be difficult to actually do. And I would encourage anybody who is in that camp to go back and listen to the last four minutes or so, because it's very clear that you have a culture of cultural responsiveness, but you're also putting the resources in place, um, both as teachers um, and as an administration to make, to allow that to happen. It, it's just, it's one of those things we hear so much about that in asset-based learning um, where it, 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 everybody has good intentions, but it can be hard to kind of implement. So that was great. I really, I'm glad I asked you that question. Um, Kelsey, I'm going to come back to you for another question, because I think this is probably maybe the most important question that we're going to ask today. What in your experience has been the reaction of your students? I know you said that you really, this is what you know, and you've done this since you started here. Um, so we don't, I don't know if you have anything to compare it to, but those multilingual learners that you're working with, what, what's been the reaction of those students to this guided learning? Um, I think just the, the safety of a small group for my English learners who might not feel as confident or as comfortable answering whole class. They're um, like this year in one in particular, I have a student who's very shy um, and just when we're in small group, she is not shy. And it's wonderful to see that and to have her participate um, and let them know that they, that they're safe and that their opinion does matter. Um, and so giving them that opportunity in a small group is really what it comes down to. It's helping all students succeed and, and small groups lets us do that. And has anybody uh, asked you, have any of your students asked you when we get to read? Um, no, there were ever day <laughs> we're in there. We, if we have, we have a lot of fog in the Valley and we've had a lot of foggy days the last couple of weeks. And with the two hour delay in our start, sometimes we have to scrap guided reading that day, unfortunately. And they are so bummed when they come to school and they're like, what, we don't get to read with you. And I'm like, okay, okay. We can fit this in. <laughs> See how I can fit this in. So they, they look forward to it and they love being with their friends. And it's really just that time of day where we, I don't know, we just, it's the best part of my day. That's great to hear. I had to circle back to that original question. You know, I was going to do that. Melanie, the, the anecdote where, when do we get to read? So that question's not being asked anymore. That's, that's, that's good news. Um, all right. As we wrap up here, I'd love. Um, so I, I'll I'll link to the article that I sort of read that I learned about all the work that you're doing, so people can read that. And obviously, there's a lot more that we could talk about. So we'll link to any resources that you have that would help other districts um, uh, or schools implement um, guided reading. And, and that's something that you all did. You talked to other districts and other people, and you kind of came together to figure something out, which I think is amazing. But for now. Um, Wes, maybe you could tell us how, how people can learn more about the work that you all are doing in your district. And then if people want to give out in social media or whatever else, I'm happy to, to kind of take that. Yeah. Um, first, I just want to give it up for Kelsey because she is just amazing. And wouldn't it be amazing if every teacher in America, I mean, her attitude was teaching whole class. It's a, it, it's a 
it's a disservice to some students because they're never going to get it in the, in the whole class instruction. And you need those small group opportunities. And for, if every teacher believed that, I mean, just amazing things would happen because that's how you're really going to connect with kids when you pull them in those small groups. Um, for, you know, you're, we're at Kings, we are at the, you can email me at Wesley Sever at, at uh, gmail.com or contact us district wide. We'll give you all our contact information for Kelsey, Melanie, and I. Feel free to ask us any questions that you might have. Great. We really appreciate that. And we'll make sure we get that in the show notes as well as in the blog post that will accompany this episode. It's obviously really difficult to kind of jot all that down while you're listening, particularly if you're driving in a car, which many people are when they're listening to this. I have one more question for you all. And this is going to be a quick round, Robin. Usually this is a question that I ask people and they give me like three or four books, but I've kind of like limited you all. Um, and I've, I've, I've prepared you for this, but I'd love to hear if there's a book or film or any other resource that's impacted you either professionally or personally can really be anything that you'd recommend to listeners. And I'm just going to go around as I see you. So Melanie, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, we'll have it right here. <laughs> Joe Bowler's mathematical mindset. We have a focus on math right now. And um, no, it's a really good book. It talks about that productive struggle that students have to go through uh, to help students learn. I love it. There will be many people at Elevation that work on our Elevation math product that would love to read that. So that's a nice one. Um, Kelsey, how about you? Um, there's a reading strategies book that our district bought for us by Jennifer Saravallo. And that book is amazing. Hands down, one of the greatest resources I have for my guided reading books. We're two, we're two for two with really good and useful books right now. Wes, what do you have? I don't know if this is useful, but I love it. It's called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. And it talks about in order, when when you're happy, your mindset and your mood are positive. You're more successful. In fact, it talks about when you're you. In order to be successful, first you have to be happy, and a lot of people think that's the opposite. And so, once once you learn to to be happy, then you're gonna be more successful. I got to tell you, Wes, I'm, I'm tempted to start with yours here. I said at the beginning, I, I, I do this partially just because it's selfish. So the books that I'm reading are generally the books that I hear from guests that come on the podcast. And uh, that one sounds um, like it would affect every part of my life. Not to take anything away from the other ones that are really important on reading and mathematics. And I appreciate all of them. And we will link to them. Um, I know you all are just starting your day there. You probably have a lot to do. So uh, we're going to wrap this up. I just want to, um, on behalf of all of us at Elevation and listeners, um, I want to thank all of you for coming on. This was really fun to have your three different perspectives. And I think it really told the story. Melanie, thank you for bringing um, both Kelsey and Wes in. And thank you all for taking the time so early in the morning uh, on the West Coast. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.